We're back for the second episode of La Posa Pod for the 2023-24 season. I've got Jamie and Oliver on the pod and we're cooking up something special for this episode. The Jamie I'm referring to is, of course, Jamie Kemp. But Oliver is Ollie Hopkins, the managing editor of Opta Analyst. Chances are that your favourite article was either written or edited by Ollie, or maybe it was a tweet that introduced you to the analyst. That was probably Ollie's handiwork too. He has his fingerprints basically all over the site. The work we we will be focusing on today is the infamous ball and play article that has indirectly played a role in changing the rules of football. Firstly, Ollie, thanks for joining us. We'll jump straight in to our questions about this. And I want to start kind of big picture. You did the research for the original piece that got a lot of attention and is in a way the reason why we're we're here talking about this right now. Was it surprising as you looked through the data and did it alter how you perceived different teams, managers and how you watched the game? Did you find yourself looking at the game and looking at the clock, counting the amount of stoppages, who was doing the stoppages, what they were for? Yeah, well, thanks, Robbie, for having me in that lovely introduction. Uh, it's very flattering. Um, I should come on this podcast more often to get a, a little ego boost. So thanks very much for that. Um, yeah, so I suppose the the article that you're referring to, um, in case people haven't haven't read it, was um, a, a look at a Premier League focused look at um, time wasting in in that division, um, and the central premise theme of, of that whole piece was essentially um you know we we know that that football matches don't actually last 90 minutes despite what the clock might say um they last actually a a lot less than that uh, in in reality in terms of the actual ball in play time um that's not necessarily uh, a a new thing it's been around for for you know pretty much all time since we started playing this this game but um when you look at the, 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 the data and how much of the game actually isn't played, that's quite surprising and, and that's quite illuminating. Um, and, you know, if we look at, across the top five European leagues last season, you know, the the average sort of time um, in minutes for how long the ball actually is in play is, is you know, between 53 and 55 minutes, roughly on, on average. So, you know, all, although matches last 95, 6, 7, even more, minutes now um you know, in, in reality the actual action that you see is is far less um far less than that um so that was the the premise uh, and i suppose the um uh what we we proved with that article and then um kind of within that that topic of how much action do we see or, or not see we then drill down into looking at, at which teams were the biggest uh, offenders in terms of um time wasting um or clock management uh, if you want to call it a, a polite term, um, and looking into, I guess, some of the tactics around um, game management um, and which, so if, if you are looking to to eat the clock, um, which which parts of football are the best ways of, of doing so, you know, whether that's through goal kicks, free kicks, throw-ins, uh, and that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, that was the the article and about a, a two-minute um, synopsis there. But um, yeah, I guess the the bottom line of, of it all was um despite games you know seeming like they they last a long time actually we don't see a ton of the action um and, and actually of of the top five european leagues um last season uh, la liga was was the lowest um in terms of how much action we actually saw um you know 53 
minutes and 36 seconds was the average um, ball in play time uh, in, in Spain last season, which was the lowest, as I said, of those top five uh, European leagues. So, yeah, Oli, I, I just wanted to ask you that now the rules are established and officials are quite clear that there's, there's no going back from this, at, at least in the short term. Uh, do you think there'll be a growing onus on the players to make this new landscape work uh, or to at least try and pull us back from the current staple of 100-minute games that we're now seeing uh, very often? I think, yeah, I mean, there, there has to be. Um, I think, um, you know, players need to basically start adjusting their, their habits to react to these these new rules um you know we're we're already seeing examples uh, across europe of of players you know getting a, a first yellow card for time wasting uh, and then a soft second one for you know maybe what is a foul and maybe maybe it could be given uh, as a yellow card but because they've kind of got that that first cheap yellow card for seemingly an innocuous you know thing like taking a throw in too slowly or, or things like that um you know they players are kind of falling foul of of that um and, and and are seeing red i think you know if we look at um in, in, in the premier league um just for kind of a, a small sample size um you know last last season we saw um 13 red cards for two bookable offenses in, in the entire uh, campaign last year that's about one every 29 games um but you know, this season we've already seen four in in 19 games which is one every just shy of one every um five games so you know we're already seeing a a sharp rise in in players i guess getting booked twice and, and getting sent off uh, as as a, as a result um so you know if if teams and players want to avoid losing players and, and playing with with 10 men um managers have, have, have got to tell their, their players um to watch out and to be on top of this uh this stuff um it you know it seems like in in La Liga that was already sort of happening um like last last season it, in terms of um you know, players um being being punished for time wasting and and more than than not dissent i think there's been quite a lot of um conversation uh, in in the UK about this kind of sudden rise in in bookings for time wasting and dissent um th- this season but it seems to be um, like La Liga um, w- was already was already there uh, last season. Uh, I mean, um, throughout the entirety of, of last camp- campaign, we we saw uh, a booking for for dissents. Um, one one booking for dissents uh, every one point six games uh, in La Liga last season, which was by far and away uh, the most regular um, regular occurrence across Europe's top five leagues. Uh, you've got you know Italy next with, at, at two point three. Germany 2.6 and then you know France and England seem to be very lax on 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 descent um with four games um per booking um for, for descent and 4.4 in the Premier League so I think the referees in, in Spain were kind of already um on it or already looking out for 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 it um and the the other leagues particularly the Premier League has sort of caught up to, to, to that um and I suppose that the other factor um around what we're currently seeing uh around europe it with the ridiculously long games and games going over 100 minutes um being the norm and and, and being average now for for this season is that 
Um, you know, players are playing more games than ever before. The game is faster; it's more intense than ever before, um, and you know, it's in players' interest, it's in teams' interest to kind of limit those minutes where they can and, and kind of keep players' legs, um, you know, as load free as possible. Um, what's interesting about, I guess, this whole discussion and, and this nuance is the fact that when you look at it and when you think about it, actually, sometimes a long game that's quite prolonged. Um, and it's quite bitty uh, and it's quite stop-start, can actually favour the, the weaker sides in in the league and, and, and in games. Um, so actually, you know, some teams might still be wanting to kind of see games going long, see games kind of being a bit broken up and a bit, um, I guess, yeah, I guess losing their structure a little bit because it actually helps them have a better chance of beating the the so-called bigger teams um, in, yeah, in, in matches. Yeah, so the, um, the headline figure for, for La Liga, especially so far this season from what we've seen, is it's the league with the the highest average match time, which is roughly 104 minutes, and the lowest average ball in play time, which is currently 54 minutes and 47 seconds. So, yeah, La Liga has the unwelcome combination of being the longest game so far, um, but also the least amount of action in terms of ball in play and an actual rhythm in matches. So you touched on it a little bit there, but I wanted to ask you as well that the most extreme example we've seen in La Liga so far this season was uh, Getafe's nil-nil draw with Barcelona. Um, it was a game that without time wasting and frequent breaks in the game, uh, everything that in Getafe were involved with, their chances of actually securing that result would be would be massively diminished. So they're a team who would actually prefer a longer, more fragmented game than, than a shorter one with more continuity. So with that in mind, do you think there are certain teams for, for whom these new instructions are, are just not really going to take any, any effect and they're not really going to change their behaviour uh, towards them? I think for as long as teams can, can get away with... Um... Yeah, with, with time wasting, with breaking down the, the game and, and making it slower, I, I think as, as long as they're not being punished for for doing that, um, then I think we'll continue to see it. And you know, in, in some respects, as you know, as the divide grows in the game between the elite teams and those teams who you haven't got the the resources and the financial clout to, to compete at the top level, um, in some ways, this is this is one of the last things that um, a, a smaller club has in their armory to deal with a, a big, bigger team. Uh, I mean, just to kind of put that that game into context, um, Barcelona conceded 11 fouls against Getafe in, in that game. Um, and each free kick that Getafe took, they, they took over a minute to resume the game from each free kick. I think it was 72 seconds per, per free kick. So when you multiply 72 sec seconds by 11 fouls, you, you actually get to over 13 minutes of the game was burned through Atafe you know, taking their time um, to restart play after those, those free kicks. Um, that kind of shows you how quickly the, the game can be eaten up and how quickly quickly you can lose time in the match. And that was just throwing, I mean, sorry, um, free kicks. You know, there are goal kicks and throw-ins that can also be be used in, in, in that similar, similar regard. Um, but in some ways, you know, we, we can't really blame them for doing that. Um, you know, there's, there's a reason why um, the the top clubs in La Liga want 
more football to be played. They, they, they are, in theory, and on paper, have a better team, stronger players, um, deeper benches. They, they want more action to be to be played. Um, whereas the, the weaker teams, in, in theory, they want to limit the amount of time that actually they got to play Barcelona's, Real Madrid's uh, at, you know, at, at, at football. Um, and actually, if we look at the proportion of, of ball in play time split down by, by team last season, the, the top three for the highest um, ratio of ball in play time were Real Madrid, Atletico and Barcelona. Um, and the bottom three were all clubs who struggled last year. Um, Valladolid, who went, who went down, Cadiz and Valencia. They are the, the bottom three per, for um, how much of the ball was in play for, for their games. And you're looking at roughly... You know, seven to six to seven to eight percent difference in um, how much of the game is is in play. Where you can kind of c- 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 compare those those three teams to those six teams together. Um, so, ar- ar- arguably, arguably, um, they they need to be able to to, to do this to kind of c- compete. Yeah, it's, it's it's interesting to me. I always, or most of the time, with these kinds of things that are that are open for debate, I I look at some of the american sports and how they would deal with with it with something like this and i think it speaks to the fact that and i know people will disagree with it in many ways and it and it isn't true in many ways but at the same time the game still does belong to the fans and you can't exactly change if this was an american sport they would have changed the rules to put in a shot clock and but that would have then opened up the the possibility for advertisement during games and it would have changed the game completely as we know it uh, 45 minutes 45 45 minutes 50 minute break 45 minutes but that that just hasn't happened yet and the the, the stakeholders in this the organizers are, are just aren't willing to go there on, on until obviously this gets to the point where players are complaining managers are complaining the games are going on too long fans are switching off their television televisions not buying subscriptions not going to the games etc etc so i i we, we wrote myself and ryan uh, our colleague at the analyst myself and him wrote the article about red cards in la liga and they had changed the reason for all the red cards was everyone said that it was because la liga was getting more physical and then La Liga released a statement saying, no, 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 the red cards aren't because it's more physical. It's just because we've changed the criteria. Now, they didn't go so far as to explain what that criteria was. So the fans were left a little bit shortchanged again. They were like, well, we're the ones this is being created for. Can you not at least explain to us? Like, And if this was in, say, like basketball, they constantly release... Uh, feedback from referees oh that decision was right that decision was wrong and they 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 reviewed them now i don't know if that's the answer either but it just feels like the fans are the ones being shortchanged here a little bit and florentino perez spoke about how kids growing up now just aren't willing to spend 110 15 minutes 20 minutes um sitting in front of their computer screen so i'm just wondering so I'm just wondering then finally, in terms of the stakeholders here, the fans, the referees, the players and the organisers, are the new rules actually helping anyone? The, the fans just have to dedicate more time to a sport that already consumes a, a fairly large chunk of their day, of their time. The players end up having to play up to 500 more minutes a season, which is like obviously four or five extra games. The referees have more scrutiny on them and they have to manage it like we saw in the Getafe game. Like the Getafe-Barcelona game, 
as we've spoken about, they, they played right on the limit constantly. And Getafe didn't actually do anything wrong in terms of uh, the referee can't just say okay i'm gonna have to give someone a red card here uh, to, to make this to, to give them a, a scare and to to balance the, the scales because getafe were playing right at the limit and so, so the referees are having to more scrutiny on them and the organizers have been seen to do something but i guess i'm not sure if institutionalizing the issue like this is the answer what, what do you think about that ali it's obviously a, a massively nuanced topic um and there are a lot of different sort of stakeholders and, and, and factors um at, at play i think if you focus on on the fan element of the discussion there and let's talk about about, about them maybe first i think that i think if you asked football fans if they want to see more or, or less football i think they'd ever would probably say more i think in the you know there seems to be an insatiable demand for you know, for more football, more content, more this, more that. But I think, in a, in a way, games going longer, providing that we're seeing a higher proportion of the games where the ball's in play and actually being played, um, you know, fans are seeing more action, they're getting more bang for, for their buck. Where that's an issue is, as Jamie pointed out at the top of the show, was that actually in La Liga this year, it's, it's going backwards. So you the games are going longer, but actually the proportion of time that the ball actually is in play is, is falling. Um, and, you know, it, it's it's fallen almost 2% from last season to, to this season in terms of that proportion of, of ball in play time. Um, and, you know, the that proportion is, has risen and, and gone up in the Premier League, Bundesliga and Serie A. It's down a little bit in, in France, but that's less of an issue because they, they've started from, from a higher base. Um, so you've kind of got this, this, uh, yeah, this double-edged sword in in Spain, where you've got the, almost the worst of of both worlds, um, and yeah, that is a that's an issue. Don't get me wrong um, at, at all, but I think the the desire to try and reverse that, um, I think, I think is can only be seen as a, as a good thing for fans who are paying more for subscriptions from their match-going fees. Um, so I think giving them more of the product that they're, they're paying for, I think has to be a, has to be a good thing. I, I think, um, yes. I mean, in, in terms of the players and in terms of the referees, it's obviously a little bit dicier. You get this massive magnifying glass on referees now and, and kind of everything that they're doing is being scrutinized. It's also very, very difficult to be consistent with you know, things like time wasting. Like at what point does, you know, if you've got one player holding the ball for throw in for 10 seconds, then it's passed to someone else who takes five seconds and he gets booked for that. That's not really, it's almost you kind of get a team yellow card rather than for, for one player. He's not really been the, the worst offender for, for that in, in that particular situation. So it's hard to kind of, you know, I guess, be consistent with, 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 with that for a start. And, you know, I think players themselves obviously um, are, are going to want to try and limit load through their legs and, and you know, not get burnt out too, too quickly. Um, so I think it's, it's a, it's a combination of, of, you know, players being smart and, and reacting to, um, I guess, what they're allowed to, to still get away with and what, what they can still do. Um, and w while still kind of maintaining that that element of, uh, I guess, having a something in their armory to, to deal with, to deal with the, the top sides. Um, it's funny, if you look at, if you break down, um, 
La Liga this season, the teams and kind of you look at the average time they take to restart the game just across across the, the entire game. So we're talking about you know, throw-ins, free kicks, corners, um, kickoffs. And if you average out all those, all those, I guess, those de- delay events, um, you see actually quite a, a vast difference between the, the team at the top, Cadiz, who take just shy of 40 seconds on average per delay to kind of restart play, um, to the bottom, which is Celta Vigo, who take 19 seconds. So there's basically a Cadiz taking twice as long to restart play than the Celta are. Um, so I think there's probably um, ways that Cadiz could probably bring that time down, I think, to um, down to more kind of like the, maybe even the, the league average, which is probably about 25, 26 seconds, um, which would, would help help them, you know, if they're complaining about, um, you know, games going too long, then probably stop taking so long over your delays, lads. <laughs> when you're watching Getafe versus Barcelona as a neutral, and you're looking at the battles going on, the individual battles and the, the how the referee is controlling it, it, it is kind of interesting to see what's going to happen and it's almost like theater in a way and and that can draw you in but as a fan of Barcelona you're looking going this is ridiculous this is a joke this is <laughs> someone please do something like you saw Twitter or, or X erupting during that game Getafe fans were just sitting there going well what what do you expect you know we're trying to put our toe on the scales when you've already got your toe on the scales and and I think Spanish football, it's it's really interesting. I think the referees, in a way, are the unsung heroes here, and you, you won't hear that on every pod. People bigging up referees, but it, but it's a form of psychological warfare. In that, from the very first minute of the game, there's players surrounding the ref in his ear. The referee has to protect the player. Like so, a player goes down the ground, rolling around, and he's looking, going, "I I, I didn't I didn't see any contact." But what if this guy is really hurt? Like I'm gonna get really badly criticized here if i don't stop the game and you stop the game and you realize the guy actually wasn't hurt and you're like but you have to stop it so i just find the whole thing fascinating and and when, when it's catafe barcelona which is a, a an unfair fight in many ways to begin with it can be interesting it can turn into like this kind of theater this drama but when it's a, t- a game like valencia and sevilla it can be frustrating because those are two big teams you're watching it, hoping to see a game, and it's just broken play, and you're just kind of like, someone, please give us a passage of play here. You know, I just think that that's that can. It's it's a very interesting topic. It's a very interesting thing to pay attention to. But yeah, when you've got a hundred and when you've got a hundred and whatever it is, twenty forty minutes of uh, sorry, hundred forty minutes of of action, and you're only actually getting to see the ball in play for fifty percent of that. I think there's something definitely does have to be fixed. Yeah, it's um just to touch on that Barcelona Getafe game as well. It's it's ironic because Xavi after the game was was the guy who came out straight away. He was he was furious. He was asking for ball in play time clocks to come in from from the following day. But if you look back in time, there's uh there's an interview with Borderlass that he did with Marker, and he's. He's basically asking for the same thing. So they've they've got these two guys that are complete contrast in in how they play football, how their teams play. But essentially, when it came down to it, they're both asking for the same thing. They're at, they were asking for fewer stoppages, more rhythm. Uh, Borderlass because he wants to protect his players in terms of punishment from referees. He doesn't want yellow cards being brandished to his players constantly. Uh, and Xavi wants the same thing, but so his team can actually play football. So there's this weird um, 
there's this weird contrast going on where they're actually asking for the same thing, but in in quite different ways. And what's just on that on that point? What is quite ironic is actually if you go to Barcelona's second game, they obviously they're they're two 0 winner uh, the weekend. Um, this is a, this is a very small sort of sample size, but um, in, in that game, um, Barca took um, thirty seven seconds. Um, on average, with their their throw-ins, and that is the the highest mark of, of any team in a game so far this season. Um, and you know they they were leading in the game, so it, it's it's sort of one of those things where everyone sort of does it, um, some more than others. But um, I think to kind of you, you can't really claim the sort of moral high ground in one game, and then actually in the second game, perhaps um, when it suits you and you're, and you're leading, um, to then do it yourself a little bit as well. Yeah, I guess that's the that's the thing with football and a lot of football analysis is that it's very tribal and there's a lot of bad faith actors there coming out and making excuses for after they've lost, but then Barcelona go and do it when they're winning two nil. Take your time, lads. Don't don't get up off the ground too quickly. Don't take that throw in too quickly. So, yeah, it's really interesting and and I guess it's 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 something we're going to be keeping an eye on during the season with the new rules with La Liga, uh, just in in general being the being the highest or the lowest proportion of football to actual time played and stuff. So we'll definitely keep it on. And, and Ali, you said you'd, you'd come back on the podcast more often. So we're going to hold you to that. And we just want to say thank, thanks a million for, for coming on today. Definitely. Yeah, no problem at all. So after that very interesting chat with Ollie Hopkins, let's dive into the football that happened at the weekend. Atletico Madrid have a 13.9% chance of winning the league, according to Optus predictions. That has dropped since the start of the season, mainly because of how good Real Madrid have been. They now have a 65.4% chance of winning it. And Barcelona have an 18% chance. But Atletico really didn't help themselves against Real Betis at the weekend. They drew nil all in a game where I thought that they struggled for long periods. I don't think the team selection was great. Obviously not helped by Koke being injured. Jamie, what did you think of that performance from from Atletico Madrid to begin with? I thought first half was a real struggle. Betis really had control of the ball, moved them around a lot. Uh, it was true that Atletico kind of set off uh, and were half content to to let Betis have the ball, but when the chance did come for, for Atletico to try and take some initiative and, and start building from the back with this this more progressive style that we've seen from Simeone, they they struggled massively and overall I thought it was the fact that there's some key players missing from this team we know Koke got injured on on match day one he's a big miss um the right side of the team to me just just didn't feel right uh, specifically in terms of what Simeone is trying to do in possession now with with actually building from the back and having a little bit more patient um, possession play. Marcos Llorente started in midfield in this game, playing on the right side. Uh, Savic was in there on the right side as well, and Azpilicueta. And when you compare that to what we saw from them last season after the World Cup with with Nahuel Molina at right wing back, they looked uh, a very good attacking side when they had that, that balance set. So I think the story is partly that there's some key players missing, but again, the performance did did leave a little bit to desired, I'd say. To be desired, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, on, on that right-hand side, well, the whole midfield to begin with, 
is 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 kind of in flux. All three of the players that started that game, Llorente, Rodrigo de Paul, and Thomas Lamar, have all been linked with moves away this summer, and. Rodrigo de Paul just recently linked with a move to Saudi Arabia, but it looks like that has fallen through now. Llorente too. Llorente probably, ever since the title-winning season, he hasn't reached those heights again. I just wonder what part of him is feeling uh, he's stagnated and that he has more to offer, but he's just not being given the chances. And, and not only not being given the chances, but being given the chances in the position that he likes. Back then, that, that team was kind of, Built, built to suit him really, and this team slightly less so, but it, it's still it, it it still is a similar position for him. When Rodrigo de Paul went out to that side in the in the second half, when when Barrios came on, I think Rodrigo de Paul did a far better job of with his incisive passing, breaking the lines with his running, and just I think he's better suited to that role. I would say once Molina comes back, maybe an option would be to to send Cesar Azpilicueta, who started really well, bring him inside to that right centre-back role. Um, uh, because I don't think, I don't think Savage and, uh, I, I think, I think they need more in possession than a player like Stepan Savage. And yeah, we, like we, we speak a lot about how Simeone, and I think Simeone's evolution into what Atletico have become is one of the most underrated or, or, or under-talked about things that has happened in La Liga recently and it's not easy going from essentially 4-4-2 low block counter-attacking football to what he has eventually turned his Atletico Madrid side into um, with, with Mario Hermoso inverting to play at the base of midfield and but at the same time they're, they're still not uh, and Anecdotally, I had I thought that they were more a possession-based side, but then we looked at the stats and forty-seven percent possession versus Betis, forty-six percent versus Granada. They're really not. It's a five-three-two, and yeah, they're not really applying that much pressure high up the field to 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 force the issue, and and they're kind of happy to just kind of let things happen. And and once they win the ball back, they they are more a little bit elaborate, but not not really. They don't want position possession necessarily. The, so onto that idea about Atletico's mid, midfield being in flux, there's been talk now, I, I don't know how many midfielders they've been linked to, Koke's injury kind of expedites that process and they, they kind of have to find someone now. Although I thought Barrios did really, really well when he came on. It, it felt like they were they were building up through the wings a little bit more than they would have if Koke was there, probably because Barrios is young, like a kid, and there was times when he was open and he wanted the ball and he was offering to, 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 to receive it, and they'd just go out to the wings instead. I don't know if that was an instruction from Simeone or whether the, the players are just deciding to do that themselves. But do you think Barrios can... Play significant minutes here in in Koke's absence, or who, or they 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 need it? Do they need a midfielder? Well, apparently Barrios had had a bit of a difficult week in training, which is why Simeone opted to start him from the bench and bring Llorente in and play De Paul as in that sort of unfamiliar Koke role, which is is not his best use, obviously. But with Barrios, he always looks bright when he comes on. He's He's got a little bit extra to his game in possession than I think some of the other players Atletico have used in that position historically. It's just a case of I'm not sure Simeone right now is is totally comfortable with with starting him in big games or really getting behind him despite 
the fact that he is in the first team setup and under Simeone, we know if a young player is close and is even in that position to to begin with, then Simeone has to have a certain level of trust in him more so than other younger players. So it it it's um I think the paradox is that he doesn't quite feel ready to assume a starting role right now and carry that on over over weeks and months, but. At the same time, how quick he gets there will be determined by how much exposure he does get in the first team. So it's a bit of a catch-22 now, and I think it ends with Atletico signing someone in that position uh, and Barrios finding his minutes where he can uh, throughout the rest of the season. Yeah, and, and talk you mentioned earlier at the, at the start of this segment about Atletico Madrid being moved around by Betis and I thought Betis did a really good job of that specifically in the first maybe half an hour 40 minutes there were some really lovely combinations and I think one of the key pl- players in that those movements was Isco he's moving around kind of playing that Sergio Canales role we spoke a month ago maybe about Real Betis and we were kind of joking about his Instagram stories and how he's putting in a lot of work and he started this season on fire, he's got two MVP awards in two games, but you're just not ready to bite a hype yet, are you? <laughs> um, certainly not the MVP awards. I think this is, I believe it's a fan vote award. So although it's fans that have that have picked this, and you know, there's a lot of sentiment that goes into that. Not exactly people who are sat in front of a game for 90 minutes watching it with, with laser focus. Um, but it has since uh, become a thing all over Twitter where it's it's got two games, two MVPs. The guy, the guy is back. Let's get him in Spain squad. Mm. Um, and I'm not quite there yet, it, it's safe to say. Um, the There was a stat from this game that he... He had 61 passes in the game and there was only one that wasn't successful. So 98% pass completion rate, um, which is obviously a positive, but I felt that despite providing a decent link to the team, um, he, he was active. They were they were moving Atletico around with Isco's help. I thought a lot of it was Atletico quite content just to let him sit on the edge of their defensive shape and, and move around. Um, but the other thing to mention is that it was 42 degrees in, in Seville on, on Monday night. And even late into the day, the commentators who were pitch side were saying, you know, it's, it's, it's just unbelievably hot, stood at the side of this pitch. So it was quite a slow tempo game where, especially in the first half, Betis were just popping it around quite freely. It, it was tough to really get intensity up towards the ball for Atletico. So... I thought it was a nice game for Isco and I'm certainly not saying he's a bad signing or anything, but to suggest that he's he's going to come in and have like a, a Fekir or Canales type type role, I think is a little bit early. Um, but over the course of a, a season where they're in European competition, he's he's certainly got a big opportunity now to, to really get back involved. J- Jamie, come on. The, the, the Isco hype train, there's still tickets available. <laughs> I, I'm I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm going to board the train myself, but I do have a ticket just in case. I don't want to miss it. Like, you know, I think no, I, I do I do think you're right, and I think uh, just on the topic about the about the ball and play time, 
I think Spain games at this time of the year in Spain are just a matter of just pure survival, like almost literally in that they're, they're being played in inhumane temperatures and the, the Spain economically aren't a force. So a lot of the teams are kind of relying on other things happening in the transfer market for them. Atletico Madrid are, are sitting here with a, with a team, not not full of, of players who could potentially leave within the next week or two, but you've got Yannick Carrasco, whose future is up in the air. You've got the players I mentioned before, uh, Morata, whose future is up in the air. They're trying to sign different midfielders and kind of hoping things pan out. So w- w- the question about whether or not Atletico Madrid are, are contenders or not, isn't going to be necessarily decided in the next three weeks or, or from the start of the season through the first three or four games. But I do think it's it's imperative for Atletico Madrid to stay in touching distance with the best teams. And like if you draw your first three games and all of a sudden you find yourself six points off Real Madrid and you're looking up at them thinking this is a, an unbelievable team or, or, or likewise Barcelona and you're, you know, and... So I think it's it's just imperative for them to to stay within touching distance, um and the and that's on that topic and the heat and 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 the economic factors. But on but on Isco, I think that him playing the Canales role is is really important. Is it it actually suits him? There was a quote from him recently, or at his signing, or his announcement for Real Betis he said it's, it's always going to be the same situation with Isco the talent isn't in question it's going to be a physical thing and I think that that mentioned there about the amount of the amount of touches he had and he played 70 minutes like that Canales role he's not going to find that at any other club really given the freedom to move around and I think on the MVP awards you're right there's a kind of romanticism linked with the enganche role and he, he, he tried a couple of really nice things and there was a couple of nice moves he was involved in. And those are the kind of things that stick in fans' minds. But when you're actually anal- analysing it, I think you're right. Atletico just let him have the ball. And when you look back on it and think about what kind of damage he created, I don't really think he did that much either. In, in a game yeah. in, in a yeah. game that actually was didn't have that many chances either. Real Betis's XG was 0.74. Atletico's was 0.4. That's worrying for Atletico. Yeah, it was um, the XG numbers early in the season are safe to say not quite as informative as they are in in two or three months' time. But yeah, the, it was a case of for Atletico uh, in the second half, especially. I felt like they arrived quite a lot, but they didn't actually convert anything into into shots or chances. Um. And for Atletico, you know, that their, their defense is still very good. So they did concede, what was it? Um, I think it was around 15 shots in this game, but but none of them were on target. Jan Black didn't have to make a save. None of them really felt like big chances. So this was a this was a really, really fine game where you know, one goal one goal would have won it for, for the either side, but it it like you said, it's. I think it's about for Atletico in the meantime, just being consistent, certainly not losing, and in the meantime, bringing those transfers in and and trying to get players like Nalo Molina back because I think with Atletico, when this 
best eleven is on the pitch, they are a title contender. But but in the mid, you know, in the games between, then I don't see it quite as much. Um, but just just to mention one thing in terms of their title contention, I did like the team that finished this game for Atletico, where they went back to a pure four four two. And on both wings, they had Samuel Lino and Rodrigo Riquelme. And, and you think of how many players can bring two wingers that good off the bench for for a second phase of a game or third phase of a game where where, where both teams are tired, space is opening up. They didn't get the goal in this one, but they have got quite, a, quite an appealing um, array of options to come off the bench despite not having their, their front line uh, starting 11 yet. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the other thing. I just wanted to touch on this before we move on to our next topic. Sam, Samu Omorodion is a player who you had pointed out playing for Granada during our previews a couple of weeks ago. And Atletico Madrid has just signed him 6 million, six million euro release clause. Seems like a no-brainer. And for, based on what you have seen, because he's, 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 he's a man mountain, he's huge, but he's, he's a very... There's there's a lot of nuance to his game. He he can hold the ball up. He can he can involve other players. Do you think can you see him getting minutes this season? Um, it's yeah, it's very intriguing. I mean, it's uh, it looks good now that we we uh, mentioned him on our on our uh, sorry Granada season preview. I think I think my words were we have to mention this guy just in case he blows up. So he played one game and then got signed by the team he played against. So. <laughs> Although I feel a bit bad for Granada that they've they've got this amazing young talent. He plays once, <laughs> one appearance in La Liga, and then he's he's gone to to your opponent. Um, but I have to say, I was watching that match thinking, why would Atletico not be interested in this guy? He's he's not going to cost a lot of money. I thought he had a very good debut. We already knew what type of player he was. We'd seen him in preseason. Looks like a really functional number nine who, in Atletico's system, you know, they play a 3-5-2 and, and Granada played a pretty similar one where they matched up Atletico in that game. Uh, and he looked he looked dangerous. He looked he looked mobile. And for his age, obviously he got the goal, so that puts the gloss on it. But yeah, it's, I was thinking, why would Atletico not want this guy? And it turns out they do, so... We don't know what's going to happen with him, whether it's going to be a loan or whether he's going to stick around, but I, I would really like to see it. Um, I guess it's Simeone's probably not going to bring in a guy like Samuel and take minutes off a guy like Correa, who has been a foot soldier of Simeone for, for many years now. So I think he'd probably have some work to do to really chip away at that, that depth. But yeah, a, a very interesting name for the future. So speaking about XG, we wanted to get a chance to talk about the Segunda, but in particular Real Zaragoza. Juan Carlos Cordero, the sporting director there, has signed a number of excellent players to make a squad that could be really competitive this season. They've played two games now. They've won both, beating Real Valladolid 1-0 on Friday night. And sometimes the, the hype surrounding good summers ends up being little more than that than just hype as soon as the reality hits but this Real Zaragoza team looks like it actually could compete here do you think this is finally the year that Real Zaragoza are going to climb back up to La Liga Jamie? 
Yeah, well, uh, firstly, this uh, we've taken the chance to to speak about Segunda because it it is something that we follow and it's something that we want to talk about this season. So Zaragoza is a is a fantastic place to start because this is this is a giant of a team in Spain, and every year I say to myself this this is going to be the year that Zaragoza return, but I'm starting to actually believe it this time because just looking at their squad. Um, the work that Cordero has done this summer, the fact they've got Fran Escriva uh, settled in the job after coming in last season, and their two performances so far, they, they've looked like a, a very, very well-equipped team, a very functional style. And yeah, we are... There's probably... If, if anybody knows the Segunda, they're probably listening to this thinking, God, these these two fools predicting promotion teams in, in August for Segunda, but... Yeah, all the markers you want to see in a team at this stage, uh, Zaragoza has got them. So, yeah, maybe this is the year. Yeah, we we, we just on, on, on XG and, and, and a lot of the times it's not always the best teams that get promoted from Segunda. It's the most consistent teams, the teams with the most experience and just looking through two games, expected goals, uh, Albacete lead with 5.01 after two games. I know it's, these are tiny sample sizes, but Albacete, Andorra and Burgos are the top three followed by Mirandes. Albacete helped by a couple of penalties in their first game. But none of those teams, may, maybe Andorra, possibly Albacete, but none of those teams really considered favourites for to, to go up. Real and a lot of the time it's about how good your defence can be and Real Valladolid have the best defence so far along with Saragossa after two games, 0.85. Fran Escriba, as you said, has he's already got he's got time to settle in the job. He's a coach who's right at his level now probably uh, a segunda contender maybe bottom of the league that's that's probably where where he belongs in terms of the hierarchy of things and obviously as you said there juan carlos cordero who did some excellent work at tenerife has worked at granada different clubs like that he's he's he signed some really interesting profiles this summer a mixture of youth and and experience, Victor Moyeja, Moyejo, Santiago Mourinho, Michael Mesa from Albacete, Sergi Enrich, uh, uh, one of your Andorra players, Sinan Bacchus, Tony Moya, players like that. They And they did impress against Valladolid. Is, is, is there anyone in particular who you've been impressed with so far, Jamie? Um, so far, two guys I really liked and... I, w- I said this before the season as well. I thought that bringing Marco Guado back on loan from uh, from his loan spell at Andorra last season would be possibly like a transcendental figure for for Zaragoza this season. He's probably one of the best Spanish pivot players around at the moment, as in what we know as the the Busquets role. Um, obviously, he's, he's a little bit hidden in Segunda, but. This is a guy who I think is he does have big potential and he's he's the type of player that Zaragoza have needed to really drive a promotion. Uh, a player who is probably a little bit better than than Segunda level at the moment or will be in the very near future. Um his coach last season, Ede Sarabia, said that he's a guy that he looks at and sees national team potential in the future. So I'd say Marco Guado and Tony Moya 
who I think is unfortunate to have won promotion with Alaves and then not actually playing La Liga. He's you know he's come back down to Zaragoza, but those two in particular I think are real high quality midfielders at this level. And I guess the next thing we should mention is is the unique system that they're playing. Um, there's two there's two teams in Real Madrid. Um, sorry, I, I just I just ruined the surprise there. There's uh there's there's two teams in in Spain's two, top two tiers this season who are using a four four two diamond as their main system this season, and that is Zaragoza and Real Madrid. Yeah, and one of the players who I liked last season with Albacete, I liked his energy. I liked how he how 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 technically he is and how creative he is on the ball and he reminded me when we were t- chatting about this I mentioned Marek Hamsik he kind of reminds me of him just kind of got the same same shape as him and he, he kind of reminds me of him and you said that he was the Segunda's answer to Jude Bellingham as Michael Mesa Michael Mesa and he is playing in that Jude Bellingham role, yeah. So I think that he he's a player that I would be keen to keep an eye on this this season for Zaragoza. Yeah, he was brilliant in that Valladolid game. Lot uh, quite quite a lot of parallels to Bellingham's style of play. Actually, obviously doing it at a much lower level, but just imprints his energy all over the game, playing as a number ten on paper, but he's. He's all energy, always in the box, running off markers, um, you know, filtering in little bits of quality as well. Um, that that's he's he's not a young player, obviously thirty two years old now, but he's the type of signing that you bring in if you call Dero around these younger players, like you mentioned, Mourinho, Valera, Moyeco, players like that. If you can add that second experience in as well, then that is. That goes a long way to to building a promotion level team, uh, and they look exactly like that after two weeks. Um, things can can go wrong in Segunda very quickly. We know that, and um, as a lifelong Leeds, uh, sorry, we'll edit that bit out. Uh, as a lifelong Leeds fan, I I do have a PhD in the dynamics of uh, sleeping giants, so so I know how, how quickly wrong uh, how quickly things can go wrong. Uh, when you're a team in Zaragoza situation, but yeah, we we are hopeful. And then just in relation to, there was a couple of Albacete's players from last season playing in that game with two contenders, Real Valladolid and Zaragoza, and Albacete kind of got picked apart, which is a testament to Ruben Alves's fine coaching, but he's managed to reinvent Albacete again, and it looks like they will probably push for a top six place. I don't know if they'll have the overall quality to get there in the end or to make their way through the playoffs. But as I said before, they have the highest expected goals after two games and they have the highest number of touches in the opposition box. Second is Elche with six. So Albacete of 67, Elche of 65. But I've got like a, a list of attacking metrics here and Andorra, are at the top of most of them. They've got they've had seventy point two six percent possession possession so far through two games. They look like they've kind of had to reinvent themselves. Lost a couple of players, brought some new players in. 
Is there anyone else in? I know that you're going to say Andorra, but is there anyone else from this who's caught your, who has caught your eye so far this season after two games? <laughs> yeah, if if we're touching on Segunda, then I, I just I can't let the opportunity pass without touching on Andorra. So yeah, I I think their their squad to me actually looks worse than it was last season, but their performances so far have been 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 very good indeed, which which makes me hopeful for their season because. They've shown their performances are, are really repeatable with with a different group of players. They've they've come out of the blocks playing exactly the same way, pretty much different faces, but the the players has continued without problem. So very interesting team. Manu Nieto scored a hat trick in their last game. Um, a player who was on loan at El Dense in in Segunda B last season. Um, People had asked uh, at Sarabia, you know, do you think you can actually compete without having signed a striker? Because you know, Sinambakis had gone to Zaragoza, and he said, "Believe me, we we've got a top striker here in in Manu Nieto." And two weeks in, he's he's already got a hat trick to his name. So, yeah, uh, along with Andorra, uh, I think I think Levante will go close again. <laughs> Obviously, they they couldn't have gone much closer last season. Losing in the playoff final with a last-minute penalty, um, Tenerife. I think 100% record so far. Asier Garitano is is a I would say a similar type coach to to Escriba Zaragoza. There'll be a lot of work on defensive shape being being difficult to beat first and foremost. Um, and yeah, it's obviously Espanol, huge club at this level. Um, yeah, uh, at this early stage, I'm, I'm willing to say I'm, I'm excited about Zaragoza, but to, to, uh, to pick out my favorites in August in Segunda is always a, a perilous job. Jamie, there's still 40 games to go, but we're going to hold you to those predictions. Uh, so we'll be coming back to this at the end of the season and I'll be, I'll be holding you to these. So, but on, on the Andorra thing, I, I, and I understand that they have been good and obviously Nieto scored that hat-trick on Friday night, but they've also got one of the lowest expected goals against in the league. So there, there's always going to be that issue with, with Andorra and with Eder Sarabia. And, like you said, Tenerife is another another kind of a dark horse who I would be keeping an eye on because for the most part, it's expected goals against you want to be paying attention to here because a lot of the times a team can get by with a, an average to slightly above average attack, but if they're really solid defensively, they can be excellent. And Tenerife are that 1.28 expected goals against in, in two games, which is one of the lowest in the leagues, which is one of the lowest in the league. So... I think that they're another team with an experienced coach who who could be could be fighting for a, a a promotion back into the Segunda, or sorry, back into La Liga. So with that, on this episode of La Pausa Pod, myself and Jamie are going to sign off with an adios. <laughs> <laughs>